And if you've made wise choices in the beginning when you purchased, there's no reason why you should be losing a tremendous amount of money, having to fire sale your property, short sell it, anything sure. like that. So, you know, but that said, you know, self-management is not for everybody. It takes a certain personality, I think, to really succeed at it and sure. to enjoy it and to, you know, to be a really great self-manager. So we want to give everyone the tools to do that. But at the end of the day, you know, it's not right for everyone. Your network is your net worth. Come listen to some of the most successful people I know. Share invaluable knowledge, stories, and advice in real estate, business, and beyond. This is Weiss Advice. Whether you want to take your business or personal life to the next level, look no further. Welcome back to another episode of Weiss Advice. I'm your host, as always, Yona Weiss. Excited to be here on this little journey I like to call a podcast where we get to speak with so many amazing people every single week. And I'm really excited to have on the show Julie McCoy, who is, you may know her if you are in the short-term rental world because she is just simply a rock star in that space with the short-term shop, partner up with Avery, Carl, and Luke we've had on the show before. So without further ado, Julie, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Well, it's my pleasure. And I say rock star because I don't know why it's just like people throw that term around. But like, I know like Luke and Avery are really into like rock, you know, like music. Were you also a musician and like that world also or no? Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. No, I completely relate to you that, I don't know, that vibe, I guess, is the right word. I'm not a literal rock star in any sense of the word, but I really enjoy going to rock concerts i've traveled i i've traveled internationally to see bands that i want and yeah that's something i really love so i relate a lot to that and i take that as the compliment it's meant to be so cool it's cool that you know people have the personalities that really tie together with their business in a lot of ways and i love that how avery and luke have built the company a lot of mm-hmm. you know people maybe it's just people with similar you know states of mind similar backgrounds that just vibe mesh together much better but a lot of the agents i feel are kind of in that similar boat with the short term yeah i agree i agree yeah i think that's one of the really great things that they've done there is they've not only you know created a successful business but all of us on the team i think really we i think we have a really great team culture and uh, you know it's not traditional real estate or not a traditional real estate team and we all have a really great time we're really supportive of each other and you know keeping it loose and i really really enjoy that and i'm very proud to be like one of the very first members of the short-term shop back when they were just getting it off the ground so it's been amazing to see that grow and it's blown up over the years why don't you tell us a little bit about your background because i know you made like a yeah if i recall correctly when we first spoke you made a big move from like LA, you know, living the life, whatever you're doing. And then it's like, okay, I'm going to buy a short-term rental and then move out to the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee and, and start being doing this full-time. So give us a little bit of your background and how you made that transition and just what that's like for you. Yeah. So I, my dream, you know, growing up and what I studied in school was film and tele- television production. Oh, so wow. that was something that really held my interest, especially, you know, beginning in high school and really wanted to be part of like, not as an actor or director necessarily, but just part of the crew that would, you know, create these environments and these shows or films that 
you know, I really enjoyed immersing myself in as a kid. So that was really my original career, you know, career trajectory and found myself with, you know, a good career in Los Angeles. I worked as an assistant director, which is essentially the project manager of set. So it's kind of the, you know, it's more of a logistics role than a creative one, but right. it's kind of bring everybody together to help things, you know, happen on time, on budget as much as possible and doing the logistics work so the director doesn't have to is kind of what it boils down to. Gotcha. And really enjoyed that, that fit my skill set really well. And I got to meet a lot of really incredible people and have some really amazing, you know, experiences and be in different places that a lot of, you know, a lot of time you just don't get the opportunity to go if you're, you know, punching a clock in a nine to five in an office. Right. So that was really, really cool. Worked really hard at it and, you know, had some good success there. But I did figure out pretty early that it's a very physically demanding job just from an hour's standpoint and just time on your feet, things like that. And I'm like, all right, this is not something I'm going to do for, you know, 30 years. It'll wear me out. So what can I do to set myself up so that I don't have to? You know, I don't want to be like some of the people that I've worked with that are just burned out and, mm. you know, no longer enjoy what they're doing, but don't feel like they have another choice. Right. So I had always also had an interest in real estate, but it generally didn't have, you know, either the time or the capital to, you know, to really pursue it or the knowledge. And so I've found myself, I found myself in a great job where I was on a very established show. We would have moments of like intense activity and everybody's getting everything ready. And then some serious periods of downtime as well. Everyone's heard hurry up and wait. There's a lot of that sort of thing that happens on a TV set. Yeah. And so I chose to use that time to educate myself. Cool. And I chose to educate myself on real estate. I started like reading blogs on bigger pockets, you know, interacting in the forums, things like that, and trying to figure out like what space do I fit into. And I eventually settled on short term rentals, which is a whole other story. Sure. But in a nutshell, started, you know, started buying properties while I was, you know, pursuing my career in LA and eventually hit a point where I think at the time I had three or four short term rentals. And realized that I was hitting burnout. I was working constantly and it's, you know, it's an 80 hour a week job. Wow. Wait, the television and production I, job. Listen. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And so That's I was like, dangerous. all right. Yeah. It's just kind of after a while, you have to create some space for yourself. And I knew myself well enough that if I didn't physically move out of LA, then I would just keep saying yes when job opportunities came along. And if I created some physical distance, I would make that harder and help keep myself from burning out. So, yeah. So just kind of hit that point where I realized I need to make some kind of change and just slow this down. My short-term rentals were generating enough cash flow that I could float myself for a while. I could, it was one of those things where I'm like, I'm making enough to cover my expenses. I'm not making enough to what I would feel comfortable retiring or anything like that. But gets me some some space yeah. to figure out what's next. Well, so I decided cool, to move to New York. Yeah. And I'm well, talking a lot. I apologize. No, no. I just, uh, I'm curious because I have always like so many questions along the way. And so I feel bad yeah. interrupting the flow because it's amazing, the story. But I do just want to kind of interject there. But don't, try not to lose yeah. the flow because I want you to continue. But you know, when you're talking about a couple of questions here just off the bat before we forget, you know, you're talking about buying short-term rentals, assuming 
out of state. I'm just making that assumption. And you are self-managing them at this point, or do you have a property manager doing a lot of the work? So yeah, so my very first one was actually in California. This was before I had met Avery and Luke, or maybe I'd probably seen Luke around the Bigger Pockets forums, but we didn't, you know, we didn't really know each other at all. And so, yeah, my first one was in Central California by one of the major national parks. And it was just a couple hours from L.A. It was a great way for me to start because it felt close enough and, you know, an affordable enough price point and, you know, vacation rental market, you know, mm-hmm. all those things that I was kind of looking for. I did have a property manager there. I wanted to self-manage, but didn't have the confidence to do it like all in right, right. away. So we had an arrangement where he was kind of my boots on the ground. If there was anything that needed done in person, he would be the person to be there and, you know, like walk the property after the guests, make sure everything was in good shape. But I was handling all the guest communication. So we kind of split duties there. And that was a great way for me to learn a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And I was physically at the property a lot. And it was a great setup. But I also figured out pretty quickly, I really like this space. I like what I'm doing. I like interacting with guests. But I want another market that is less seasonal you know, and a lower price point, ideally, so I could expand faster. And so I went on Bigger Pockets on the short-term rental forum there where I was very active. And I said, hey, you know, I'm doing this. Really like it. I want a different market, though. And here's my criteria. And I listed three or four things that I you know, basically just said. And mm-hmm. Luke chimed in and said, well, you got to come to the Smoky Mountains. You know, they're the best. It does all this. We'll help you out, yada, yada. And I was like, well, OK, that sounds cool. I actually vacationed there when I was a kid. And, you know, my family has a cabin on the North Carolina side. I was generally familiar. And so I was like, all right, well, that sounds cool. You know, let me check this out. And yeah, so I did. Everything that he was telling me did check out. And so one thing led to another, started buying properties out there. And I mean, I think I bought three in eight months. These are like little one bedroom cabins. They did not cost very much money. Right. Back then. Especially at the time. Right right now, Um, it's probably doubled in price since then. Oh, yeah. At least more than. So it's a little different now, but at the time, yeah, you could pick up a little one bed for like, you know, $150,000, something like that. And those days are long gone, unfortunately, but it got me off to a really great start. And, you know, they were essential in, you know, connecting me with vendors and cleaners and setting me up for success. And Avery was my agent, you know, buying all of those. And we got to be friends over the course of that time. And that's ultimately... I didn't move with the intent of joining Avery's team. There wasn't a team at the time, mm-hmm. but when she found out I was moving, she asked if I'd be interested. And, and I said, sure. That's amazing. So you were, I mean, and you mentioned that you were still living in LA, still working on the TV sets mm-hmm. and had enough cash flow from your rentals to cover expenses. And, I, and I'm assuming expenses in LA. I mean, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, it is. I did not live like, a super luxurious lifestyle in LA. It took, I mean, I had a nice place that I loved very much, but it, I also had a great deal <laughs> with a little like mom and pop landlord. And yeah, I lived in that apartment for over seven years. I hated to leave it. It was great. But yeah, I mean, one of the things that I did and when you're coming up in the television industry is, you know, you always hear it's about who you know and the, sure. I don't know what kind of the, impression there is that it's very nepotistic 
Mm. But that's not really what I found. Now, certainly that exists. But the point is more, especially on the crew side, you know, you hire the people that you know. You hire Mm -hmm. the people that you know will do good work, that you know you work well with. You're working very intensely and very long hours together. And it's a very word of mouth kind of industry. You know, everyone's, you know, you're not working full time for a studio for years, generally speaking, not when you're doing crew work. So it's very gig. It's very, you know, project based. Right. And when you're hire, when you're staffing up, you call the people, you know, or you call the other people who are that, you know, who do your job and you say, hey, who do you like for whoever for whatever position? Mm-hmm. And so anyway, all of that, though, developing that network and, uh, you know, kind of establishing that reputation, getting the initial opportunity to show up and prove yourself can be really, really hard. And so it all takes a very long time to kind of get to a position where you're working consistently and where you're getting paid decent money. Right. So, well, so you kind of like scrape by for a long time. Absolutely. And then uh, once I kind of, once I kind of got over that hump, I didn't change my lifestyle hardly at all. I stayed in the same apartment. I drove the same car for a long time. So that really helped. And I did have, you know, I had a little family money that I did use for like my first down payment. So I don't want to pretend that like this is all pennies I found under the sofa, but you know, it wasn't millions of dollars, you know, it was a decent amount of money, but not enough to like write off into the sunset with. So sure. that gave me a leg up as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, having that mentality of not changing your lifestyle as your income grows, I think a lot of young people, especially, you know, get lost in and unfortunately really turn, you know, get turned down in the financial you know, downward spiral of uh, of debt that so many people in this country are in, and you know, I don't even know like how it's possible to have a different mindset than that. I mean, it's really you must have had some foundations in that, maybe growing up, or you must have lived a more frugal lifestyle. But certainly around the people that you're surrounding yourself with, a lot of the people are you know trying to you make some money, you, you show up in a fancy new car or a new jacket or purse or you know whatever it is that people do. And, you know, it's nice to hear people that don't necessarily take that direction. Yeah. Well, and I, and like now, you know, my career trajectory is I'm experiencing a little bit of that now because I have more liquidity than I did at the time. Like I was always aware it took a long time for me to let go of the fear of not getting the next job. Mm -hmm. And so that helped. I definitely had a great foundation growing up with the example parents set. And I had, you know, my mom and dad were kind of yin and yang on this. My mom was raised in a very blue collar household. You know, it was very frugal. And so I was exposed a lot to that. My dad was raised in probably like, you know, white collar, upper middle class, but he still put a lot of emphasis on the value. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't necessarily what's the cheapest thing, but what's the best thing for my dollar. So I got a lot of exposure to, you know, like some financial savvy and my parents did make it a point to teach us, you know, how to save your money. You know, we didn't get handouts. We had to do our chores in order to get our allowance. I worked for my dad's company from a very young age. So I was taught to respect money pretty early. That's pretty cool. Just out of curiosity, kind of tangential question here, but I mean, any TV shows or production, film production that we might be familiar with that you worked on? Yeah, let's see. There was one show, the established show that I talked about earlier. It was called Major Crimes. It was a procedural crime show on TNT. It ran for, I don't know, seven or eight years over there. I was 
I think. I don't remember. I was with them for three years until the show ended and great, great experience with those people, wonderful people. That was probably the most like, you know, crew, like a family folks have been there for a really long time and knew each other really well. It was great. And then after that, I did a handful of Netflix shows for the creator, Ryan Murphy, you know, and that was also a very different, but really great experience. So one was called The Politician, one was called Ratchet, and one was called Hollywood. And Hollywood wound up being my last show in the industry. We shot that in late 2019. I had already, in fact, I was already living in Tennessee at the time and needed to do like one more job for like my pension and my benefits for the year. Mm -hmm. And so I did about six weeks on that one. I was just with them for an episode for a very particular job. And then after that, went back to Tennessee and then the pandemic happened and I didn't intend to be done with the industry entirely, but it changed a lot over that period of time. And my job as a realtor took off in ways that I couldn't have anticipated. And so it kind of organically shifted me full-time into real estate. Yeah, that's awesome. So when you moved to Tennessee, kind of on a whim almost, sounds like, a little bit you know, after buying a couple of properties remotely, and then, you know, Avery convinces you to, or encourages you, I should say, to get your, your realtor's license and, mm-hmm. and join her team. I mean, how was that experience for you? Meaning, you know, it's not easy, I know, for people to kind of switch careers or switch industries, especially you having been it so established for so long. And was there a learning curve there? I know you have the project management background. So, I mean, that's very helpful when you're talking about running a business, which real estate happens to be. But I was curious about how that changed for you. Yeah, no, you're exactly right that there's a good transfer of skills. My skill set was very applicable. And I mean, I had an interest in real estate. It was a job slash hobby, you know, for a long time. So I had the interest and that was Mm -hmm. really great. And I had been a buyer on multiple transactions. So I kind of knew that side of it. I talked with Avery pretty frequently just as a friend. And so I, you know, just heard a lot of stories from her. So I feel like I had a pretty good foundation just jumping into it. But at the same time, yeah, there's a tremendous learning curve as far as like, okay, what are clients going to ask for? What sorts of questions? What are their expectations? It can be different for each person. Right. And there's with what we do working just with investors for short-term rentals, there's usually a big education component as well, because a lot of our clients, this is their first time buying a vacation rental. And right. you know, one of the things that sets us apart is the emphasis on we're not just going to sell you a house. We want to set you up for success, give you the tools that you need to be a successful owner and self-manager if that's the path that you want. And so there's a lot of, you know, front end like, okay, this is how it operates. You know, here's the broad strokes of how it works. And, you know, getting someone to a place where they feel comfortable spending, you know, a, a large amount of money that, you know, they're taking a risk. And I want to make sure that they have the tools they need to succeed, you know, to the best of my ability. But Absolutely. that does that does require some upfront education. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're and uh, to your point, the short term shop and kudos to Luke and Avery, what they've established there, the educational component and the continual education, I should say, as well with the Facebook group, with so many interactions with, you know, weekly Zooms and meetings and all kinds of things like that. It's it really does set you up for success. And, you know, I myself have kind of been on the sidelines watching and, and looking. And I know we had discussed looking at properties in the Smokies a while back. And it's something that 
I think the market took off and became a little too hot mm-hmm. for my liking. Mm-hmm. And so kind of been looking elsewhere. But I'm curious to hear what your opinion is. Cause like you said, you got in early, you got in before, you know, the market really took off. And I want to kind of blame Avery for that <laughs> because, you know, having, you know, selling hundreds, if not, you know, thousands of properties that will, you know, increase our kind of, I don't know if artificially, but, you know, inflate the appreciation of the market. So I'm just, my question well, really think- is, uh, and I did have a question, I didn't formulate it in my head, it was there, but my question to you, Julie, is like, how have you seen that kind of transition in terms of like coming in when it was, you know, just a normal kind of vacation rental market to whereas now that it's, you know, prices are at least at two or three times what they were a few years ago. And, you know, just one of your opinion or experience about what is what it looks like going forward. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that I think this was going to happen anyway, whether Avery was here or not, because what happened is she was really able to capitalize on being in the right place at the right time. Right. And I'm not going to say that there's zero impact. I don't think that's really a measurable thing. But at the same time, what wound up happening over over the same period of time is short-term rentals really became a respected asset class in the real estate investment space. And so there was a lot more attention on them and they're sexy and they're new and they're fun. And all this kind of went hand in hand with the growth of the business. And so it's a little bit chicken or the egg if you're looking in a particular market. But I think globally, that was going to happen anyway. And if it wasn't Avery, it was going to be somebody else in a market like the Smokies, where it's been an established vacation market since the 60s. Right. So you know, it was here for the taking. And she just managed to you know, really kind of catch the wave, right? you know, and ride it. But I think it was going to happen anyway. We have seen more and more investor money just coming into the short-term rental space. Sure. And as long as there is profit to be made with these properties, I don't see a reason for prices to drop in any significant way. Now, we definitely have seen, you know, we've seen a slowdown. We've seen some modest price drops you know, recently with interest rates going up because that obviously has an impact on your margins, you know, and creates downward pressure on prices. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, you know, it sucks if you're stuck upside down for, you know, for a little while, but we will get through that. And over time, you know, the values will continue to rise, I strongly believe. And I don't think we're looking at any sort of crash here in these sorts of markets because ultimately, you know, as long as people are vacationing here, as long as they are, you know, paying market rates, then, you know, and if you've made wise choices in the beginning when you purchased, there's no reason why you should be losing a tremendous amount of money, having to fire sell your property, short sell it, anything sure. like that. So, you know, but that said, you know, self-management is not for everybody. It takes a certain personality, I think, to really succeed at it and sure. to enjoy it and to, you know, to be a really great self-manager. So we want to give everyone the tools to do that. But at the end of the day, you know, it's not right for everyone. And that's okay. You know, but if you are putting, you know, putting it with a property manager, that's a pretty big chunk of your revenue that's going to the PM. So there are situations like that too, you know, but broadly speaking, I don't see the prices here coming down in any tremendous way because I don't anticipate the demand going down so much that it would create that kind of environment. When you say demand, do you mean the demand on the actual investment property sales or do you mean the demand in just the actual numbers of people coming, visiting? I mean, is it still yeah. still tons of people coming there and vacationing? 
No, great question. So you're right. The, uh, you know, what I mean by that is the demand on the renter side. So at the end of the day, as long as the property is making money, most people will not have to sell at a discount. Sure. There could be other factors in their life that are forcing it. But generally speaking, if it's profitable or at minimum breaking even, there's no need for them to sell at some dramatic discount. And what we've seen historically, you know, both through the pandemic and through the recession in, you know, 2009, 2010, people still take vacations. They want to have that time to disconnect from their regular life, spend time with their family. And that's really, really important to Americans and I'm sure to people globally, but this market sees mostly regional travel. Sure. And so, yeah, so we see, we've seen that, you know, there was, you know, during the recession, there was a very small dip in periods of time and kind of modest increase in visitors. And then during the pandemic, now there was a shutdown period. But once right. the, you know, once the government shutdown lifted and people flocked here, it was incredible. And this market in particular was really set up for success in that kind of environment because the drive to destination, most people are not flying here. You can pile the whole family in the car and drive here. You know, we're within a day's drive of over 50% of the U.S. population. And so that makes it very affordable. Mm-hmm. And most of the housing here is vacation rentals. And so that's great during the pandemic. You can cook your own food. You're not pushing elevator buttons. You're not sharing common areas with others. So yeah, we were perfectly positioned for that. Yeah. And yeah. That's great. That's great to hear. One last question on this subject. What I've been fascinated with most is the amount of people that flock to the Smoky Mountain, you know, Tennessee region. It's just credible when you look at the actual number of travelers per year. When you look at the data, it's just astounding. But what fascinates me the most and actually has piqued my curiosity more than once is there's still a very limited amount of attractions or commercial spaces to kind of service visitors. It is more of like a national park type thing and people are really doing their own things. But what I would think is not to totally commercialize it, but Yes, you have like, you know, Dollywood, you have these other you know types of things that people go to visit, but it would seem that there's a gap or a need that needs to be filled in terms of, I don't know, more restaurants, more commercial spaces, more activities, things like that could actually you know bring a lot of business to the area. And I think one of the things that this area has done really well is to continually grow those things and really invest into, you know, allowing businesses to expand and get started here to continue drawing that. And that's why the majority of the traffic that goes to the Great Smoky National Park does travel through this area because we do have, you know, relative to the other surrounding towns in the National Park, which is quite large. I mean, it goes, you know, up and down most of the border between North Carolina and Tennessee. And there's lots of beautiful places, you know, in and around the National Park. So we're not the only place that people are going, but we are by far the most popular because we do have a much better, you know, attraction infrastructure than a lot of the surrounding areas. So you you mentioned Dollywood. Dollywood's obviously a big one, but we're seeing a lot of other businesses invest in, you know, in attractions. What last, I guess it was almost two years ago, a big water park opened in Sevierville. Mm-hmm. The Cherokee Nation is building an attraction just north of Sevierville, close to the freeway that will be opening in a couple of years. And so we're seeing, you know, we're seeing some really major investments in things like that, which then, you know, 
then support the smaller ancillary businesses. We've got tons and tons of, you know, little family oriented, you know, things like we've got, you know, roller coasters on the side of the mountain that you can go down that are just kind of one offs that are there. We've got, you know, pop up courses, you know, go karts, lots of, you know, mom and pop restaurants. You know, there's an outlet mall here. There's a wide variety of things to do that you, you know, in addition to your outdoor things like zip lining, lots of zip line places, horseback mm-hmm. riding, river rafting. So I think another thing that makes us really strong is this very broad, you know, variety of things to do, whether you're outdoor oriented, whether you like doing indoor things, families, couples, whatever. Uh-huh. Um, okay. So we've, it wasn't, we so pretty I, much got it. Okay. So I, maybe I was mistaken that thinking that it was underserviced, but it sounds like there is a lot, a lot there and there is, a lot of There's a lot. You should come visit sometime. Okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> I have to, <laughs> you know, that, I guess I have to come visit. That's the only answer. <laughs> all right, Julie, I want to transition now that we call the final four. These are four questions I ask all my guests. First question for you is what is the worst job that you ever had? All right. So. I'm going to focus on one particular, I think it was like a three or four day gig that I had as a production assistant. So that's like the bottom rung on the crew ladder. And I think it was just a commercial. And I was living in Nashville at the time. This was, I lived in Tennessee twice. This was the first time before I got really established in my career. And yeah, did this little three or four day job. And we were out of town shooting in somewhere in Kentucky. And it was just one of those, like, everything that seemed to go wrong for me went wrong. And I don't know. It was just a weird dynamic with the, you know, with the production staff. There was another colleague who apparently didn't like me and went out of her way to kind of not, you know, I don't know, cause problems, I guess. I wound up, you know, and just stupid stuff like, okay, she said that, you know, I was keeping her up at night because we were in the same hotel room. And so they sent me to another hotel. And then, you know, I go to this, you know, really janky hotel that they sent me to. And the first room that I check into hasn't been clean. Mm-hmm. So I go back to the front desk. They give me a second room. That one's actually already occupied. So I go back to the front desk. The third room ends up being okay. Next day, the production manager's like, they billed us for three hotel rooms. What is this about? And I'm like, so it was just kind of like oh, one thing wow. after another. And that I just went, I just remember being really miserable. <laughs> and then yeah. and, you know, yeah. I was trying to push through, but I'm not going to say I did everything right. But yeah, that was just like, you just never know what you're going to get sometimes. And you just deal with it and then move on to the next one. Sure. Yeah. And I'm sure you've done tons of these little, you know, odd off jobs over the years in that mm-hmm. space. So yeah, it's, it's lots of them. To, yeah. Well. Well, good to good to hear you finally retired and found your calling in real yeah. estate. Not retired, but you know, found that uh, a great space in that. Well, second question is going to be: What's a book you've read that's given you a paradigm shift? So this took some thought, and I don't know if I can pinpoint one particular book, but it's something I'm w- working on really hard right now: is learning to delegate. I'm really bad at wanting to like do everything myself. The whole like, you know, if you want it done right, do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, but. That's a one-way ticket to burnout. And I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to, yeah, be able to expand my resources by expanding my team. Sure. And some books that I think, you know, deal with this really well and speak to it are Who Not How and uh, Four Hour Work Week, among others, that talk about it. Clockwork by Mike Michalowicz, you know, focuses on this quite a bit as well. 
And so I think, you know, all of those bring different things to the mix and different emphasis, but it's all kind of geared towards the same, like, how can you maximize your time and your skills and expand your business faster and better by leveraging the power of others? Sure. That's great. And those are all awesome books. So I appreciate you bringing those up. And like I said, important to be able to delegate and do that while run a business successfully. You know, that's a necessary component. So third question, and I wonder if it's going to be related, but is what's a skill or talent that you would like to learn? I would like to learn to speak some other languages, particularly Portuguese and Spanish. I would love to spend some serious time in South America. I have been to Brazil a couple of times and I absolutely love it. And so I'd really like to learn to speak Portuguese well and, you know, be able to get around there well and spend some real time there. But I also want to visit, you know, Argentina, Chile, Peru, Colombia, anywhere. On, I think it's absolutely beautiful culture and, sure. you know, great things to experience there. And I kind of feel like it's the overlooked continent, but learning the languages to get me around there would be really helpful. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you do spend some time there, that will actually probably help you more than anything else. Pick up the language, just immersing yourself. No doubt. So good luck with that. That's awesome. Fourth and final question. What does success mean to you? I think it means freedom of time. So, which I kind of struggle with because when I think about like, okay, well, if I didn't have to work ever again in my life, what would I do? And it's a little bit of a black hole because I'm like, okay, I want to travel a lot. I love traveling and, you know, experiencing a lot of different, you know, like cultures and environments. But at the same time, like, do I want to do that? Like indefinitely nonstop, the nomadic lifestyle. I don't think that's for me. So then I wind up overthinking it and just being like, well, I'm just going to work because that's something I know. And, you know, gets me out of having to decide what else to do. Right. But at the end of the day, I really want to be in a place where, you know, I'm truly just working when and how I want to. And I'm close to that in a sense. But at the same time, like real estate does not allow you to set your own hours. You're very much on call, whether that's managing your properties or working with clients, because you don't have control over like when things are going to happen, when people have questions, you don't have control over when you when that perfect property gets listed on the MLS and so many things like that. So. I think having freedom of time is my definition of of success. Sure. And I mean, obviously, being an agent or being a realtor, that is very, very time consuming. But would you say the same thing in terms of the short-term rentals managing themselves? Is that still as time? Meaning if you were not to be a realtor anymore, let's say you you stop Mm -hmm. that and we're just Mm -hmm. managing your properties, would you have that time freedom that you're looking for? I would have a lot more time for sure because the actual number of minutes and hours that are consumed by managing the rentals is really not that much. I mean, there are days when I might not need to do anything at all. Plenty of them. It's more about when you do need to do something, you generally need to do it quickly. You know, and that can be as simple as someone says, hey, my door code doesn't work. You know, and I'm at the front door trying to get to the property. What do I do? It's like, that's something you really want to be able to handle within five minutes, if not faster. Mm-hmm. And then there, you know, there's other stuff where, you know, I don't know, something breaks, the hot tub's not working right, whatever it is that requires a little more time and effort to get a vendor out there. You know, even then, it's still, you're probably investing like 30 minutes to an hour. The problem is you never know when that's going to come. So you can't schedule life around it. Right. If I could do that, that would be pretty ideal, but it's just not the nature of that business. Right. So 
you know, it's like finding ways to work around that. I do have an assistant who's working for me now who takes on like mostly guest communication. So that's taken a huge load off on that front. But there's still, you know, things that can happen where it's like, hey, I don't know how to handle this. This is what's happening. Sure. And I have to step in and say, all right, you know, here's what we're going to do. Here's who we need to call, you know, whatever it is to, you know, to move forward. Awesome. So, yeah, I'm like, it's very, very part-time. You know, even I've got, I have seven properties right now and my parents have one that I manage for them. So there's eight properties in the portfolio that I'm working with, but day to day does not take that much time. That's cool. It's very just, cool. you don't have control over when. Yeah, that's an excellent point, right? There's very little time, but you never know when that time is going to be, right? So that makes exactly. it difficult for business. Well, Julie, it's really, really been awesome catching up with you today and I appreciate you taking the time. Where can our listeners find you or reach out to you if they want? And I am not really a social media person at this point, but if you are a short-term shop client, you will usually find me poking around on the short-term shop club Facebook group. And yeah, I mean, sorry to say I'm not all that accessible kind of by design. So yeah, but if you're interested in buying something in the Smokies, hit us up at shorttermshop.com and we will be glad to help you out and you can find me there. All right. Well, sounds good. Well, thank you again for your time and hopefully speak with you again soon. And one day I will make it to the Smoky Mountains. So, <laughs> well, I look forward to it. Thank you so much. It'll happen. Yeah. And to our listeners, thank you guys for checking out the podcast and listening all the way to the end. Once again, remember the best advice comes only when you ask. Real quick, I have one question for you. Did you like this episode? If you did, I want to ask you a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message to the whole world is that if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this podcast is out on is that you like my stuff and I'm doing something right. So take a few seconds out of your day, hit that subscribe button, leave a rating or review. I would be extremely grateful. Also, I want to hear from you guys. So I want to hear some feedback. If you have any questions for future episodes, please find me on LinkedIn. Send me a DM, a connection request, Yona Weiss, and I'd love to hear from you.